Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I'm here today with Sean Wade. Now, Sean's been a broker in the city and uh, one of the smartest IR and business development guys we've come across in recent times. And we thought we'd catch up with him and get his insight into some of the problems facing uh, investors, certainly retail investors, family office, and high net worth when looking at the junior mining space. So good morning, Sean, how are you? Matt, good morning, very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good, good to speak to you again. We, we, we spoke before Christmas and we, we talked about a number of topics of affecting the market. And uh, I thought it'd be great to share that with some of the uh, investors and certainly our followers and subscribers. So I appreciate your time. So one more, why don't you tell people a little bit about you? You know, what's your experience? You know, why have you got the right to share information with them and, and, and for them to think that you're right about what you're saying. Well, thanks. Thanks very much. Um, so it's a, as you said, as you alluded in the introduction, I've um, had sort of two um, careers in, in a sense. I started as a broker um, at Casanova back in the sort of early 90s, and I spent 20 years on the sales side in, in a number of roles, um, but sort of latterly and, and chiefly really um, involved in the resources sector. And in, in, the, in the days when you know, the regulatory environment was slightly different to what it is today, where, you know, the sort of Chinese wall was a little bit different, where on the sell side you had more, uh, perhaps more impact on, um, you know, company advice than maybe you would now. So with the capital markets and, and the uh, equity sales were slightly more connected. And, and what that really meant in practice was taking part in a lot of roadshows and financings for a, a range of companies. But um, as I said, in my case, particularly mining um, and advising them really on you know, what investors were looking for um, from their communications. In other words, how to explain their value proposition to the market um, and what investors really felt were the key issues. And, and you know, I think we all know that this, this often varies. You know, companies um, can uh, you know, see themselves in a certain way and, and the market maybe sees them differently and, and wants slightly different things. Um, after 20 years of, of doing that, I moved on to the corporate side um, and in a, I've had a number of IR roles um, over the last six or seven years. Um, and I like to think of IR from my particular background as being essentially like a broker with one stock. So rather than being, um, as it were, um, the, the sort of the company's guide to the market, I like to think of myself as the, the market's guy in a company. So when I speak to the board, for example, um, I tend to speak as the representative of, of our, our shareholders and potential investors. Um, and I think it's very important uh, in an IR role to have a really close touch with all investors, both your current investor base, but also potential investors, to understand what their needs are, what they want, what their investment criteria and horizons are. So the, the extent to which you can deliver a story that suits them, you're, you're better able to do so. I think many companies, I think, tend to take a, an approach which is sort of, as I, I like to think, build it and they will come. You know, if we we create this story, we create this asset, we create this investment, um, people will see that and they will mm. come to us. Um, and I think that, you know, to an extent that clearly can work and, and, and does in many cases. But I think where, where we find ourselves now in what is an extremely crowded space for junior mining companies, there are very many of them. Um, it's very, very difficult. And I'm sure we're going to talk about the difficulties of getting financing, getting liquidity in the shares. It's an incredibly competitive space. And if you want to maximize value for your shareholders, which basically means get the share price up, 
and lower the cost of capital for the company, you've got to be very proactive in telling your story and, and getting out there with, with the right messages. Right. Thanks for that, first of all. Um, yeah, I mean, you made a few interesting points there. I mean, but I think it's worth stating sort of where we're coming from as well and why we started doing what we're doing, which is, you know, you know, a year ago, you know, we've been investing in various companies and the money is going straight into promotion, okay, because they felt the companies need, felt they needed to promote themselves around the world. And as you said, if you do it properly, it can work. But a lot of companies, you know, were hiring substandard IR biz dev people, you know, people, you know, younger people without the experience, the knowledge, and quite frankly, sometimes it seems they didn't, they kind of switched off at, uh, at five o'clock at night. Um, with the weekends and you know as an investor you don't necessarily want that type of person representing the company which you've potentially going to put your money in or you have put your money in and you know we we've seen a variety of quality of output from companies as a, as a result for, for instance wasting shareholder money by trotting around the world going to different conferences to meet the same people and have the same conversations they had the previous month and that, that was kind of very alarming to me when we noted that i mean have you, have you seen that a, a lot very much so yes i mean there's you know there is a lot of in a lot of companies there is a lot of box ticking you know we we go to indaba we go to pdac we go to one-to-one -one, um and you do see the same people again and again i mean i've, I've worked in a company where we did four road shows a year um and we more or less pull out the same list out of the drawer every time um it's, it, I mean, it's very important. You've stopped that, I hope. Well, yes, yes. No, no, look, I mean, you've, you've got to be, um, I mean, there, there is a cost issue for one thing. Um, you know, you've got to be, um, you know, very mindful of that. But look, I mean, you, you made an interesting point about, um, you know, the sort of the quality of, of IR. I think if you, you know, if I look at a company as, as an investment, you know, looking at, I look at a number of things, we, we all do, you know, looking at the experience of the CEO, looking at the CFOs, track record are very important. But I think looking at how seriously the company takes its investor relations is incredibly important. You know, there are companies that essentially don't do IR. Maybe they use, just use a PR firm to do their press releases. Uh, and there are companies that maybe perhaps, you know, overdo it in terms of the marketing, which, which, which I mentioned. Um, but I think, you know, what you've got to look for is, I think, you know, a company, and I, maybe I'm talking about my own book a little bit, but a company that's got an experienced IR who's not necessarily got years in the city or not necessarily, but who has got, um, you know, a, a degree of experience which allows them essentially to speak truth to power. And what I mean by that is, you know, internally, when I mentioned earlier, you know, being able to speak to the board, I think it's very important that, you know, uh, an investor, the head of investor relations or head of corporate communications, or whichever you want to call it, is at least um, an ex-co level appointment within the company, such that you're in the loop, for the discussions about the company strategy. You're able to contribute to those discussions from the perspective of the shareholders, how this is going to play in communications, how we might time this announcement, what we might say, how we're gonna disclose. You know, there is a, there is a vast degree of, of difference in what you have to disclose versus what you might wish to disclose, how you do it versus which channels you might use. Um, you know, you might want to just use RNS, you might want to use social media more actively. Um, and these are all a very important part of the piece for, for getting the message to the right people. And I think the IR has to be able to stand up to, at the very least, the CFO, who is usually his or her boss, uh, and probably the CEO, um, to say, look, you know, um, I, I don't feel comfortable with the way we're doing it, or I've got a 
you know, a proactive, you know, good idea of how to do it and, and to be valued at that senior level. I think if you invest very lightly in IR and you have somebody, you know, who's essentially training, you know, for a, for a, a future corporate role or, or somebody who maybe has a short amount of experience doing, doing PR, you're not necessarily getting the best out of the message. Having said that, you know, there are, you know, I understand certainly at the, at the junior end, you know, the, the AIM or, or, or junior FTSE end, you know, there is a budget issue and it, it's not always easy to, to hire the right skills. But, the, but this comes back to, and again, some of the experience that we've had when we were putting our money into these companies where people are, it's a box ticking exercise where people are busy looking busy. They're not busy yeah. being effective. And that, you know, that to me is critical in, in all, uh, functions theoretical uh, a business but IR we just I don't think it needs to be a five day a week job if it's a junior company obviously the, the mids and the mids and the, and the big boys very different they have several people but some of these juniors are spending a lot of money on people who are being ineffective and by ineffective I mean what are they doing for shareholders specifically retail family office and high net worth what yeah value are you creating? Are you communicating an articulate uh, story into the marketplace so the market actually understands what's going on, that's good for everyone? Are you just a voice piece which puts out one article a month and the virtual results and your job's done? There's, I, I feel there's a lot of the the so what aspect of it missing in the junior space. So, so you've done something, so what does that mean for me as a retail investor? Well, that's 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 a very interesting point. I mean, there's a there's a there's a few things there. I mean, I think um, first you've got to start with you know what what are the what are the company's objectives at, at any particular point in its life cycle. So, you know, are we let's take a, a random you know hypothetical example of a company that's in a development phase, and it's maybe it's done the early part of its exploration. It's now thinking about the next level of financing to move on to feasibility study and then construction. This would be a very typical profile for a, for an aim listed mining company where you know perhaps the, the 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 investors are looking at it thinking well there's a great theme here you know it's it's to do with electric vehicles or decarbonization or something like that so we've got that that big box ticked why is this particular company going to succeed you know in that space versus that any other company who's mining nickel or rare earth or you know copper or whatever mm. um and ir plays a hugely important part in this so um in order to get to the next stage, you know, in, in this in this particular example, it's, it's likely that you know we need to raise some money, and some of that's got to come from the equity market. In order to get there, we're going to need some liquidity in the shares. We're going to need a, as broad a possible base of shareholders. We're going to also need, if we can, and it's very difficult, to get some support from the brokers and maybe some coverage in the in the market, and and ideally from people that we're not paying to do that. So you know, not our corporate broker. We can go on to talk about the challenges there um, a little bit later. Um, and if the company's strategy and, and goals are to, you know, raise money, um, then it's very important that IR takes a hugely proactive role in what I would say called broking the story. You know, you've got to get out there. You've got to, you know, find channels like yourselves. You've got to talk to other people that, you know, lots of lots of people are, are looking at a different model now versus the sort of traditional corporate broking model. You've got to think about social media. You've got to link your Twitter feed to your LinkedIn, which sounds terribly simple, but actually an amazing number of companies aren't doing it. Um, and you've got to decide who you want your investors to be uh, and where you're going to target. So if, you know, and, and we're talking a lot here about retail on the high net worth, family office and so on, 
you know, what, which are the channels that these guys read? Which are the, the, the you know, I mean, you're, in your particular case, you know, you've got a great list of subscribers. Um, you know, who are, the, who are the platforms that are accessing those and how do we get into those and how do we, how do we use those? If you sit there just putting out the, the RNSs that you are required to do and doing what you're asked to do and answering the emails that are sent to you um, and just simply ticking the boxes, it, you're quite right. It's, it's not a full-time job and it shouldn't be and it shouldn't be particularly well-paid and it doesn't add an awful lot of value. If you, on the other hand, are spending a lot of your time speaking to brokers and analysts, to other information providers, other platforms, there's plenty of work to do to, to try and find where these guys are. And if that means, you know, you go up to, you know, the West Midlands on a Wednesday night to brief a bunch of IFAs about your story, then that's, you know, that's where the value is. So, but you've, you've got to get out there and do it because I said earlier, you know, it's a very, very competitive environment and you cannot assume that your very small company will suddenly be discovered yeah. and everybody will love you. Well, let's break that down a bit because obviously Genius do have budgetary constraints. They've also restricted in what they can and can't say by the exchange, whichever exchange they're on, you know, whether it be TSX, AIM, ASX, et cetera. Um, so the, the story cannot be salesy, forward-looking, uh, you know, the exchanges are trying to help ensure that retail investors are not conned out of their money. So, and so that's fine, but it does also put a dampener on the story. So the IR people internally are, again, have to show some level of restraint in terms of you know how they put those messages out there, which means that sometimes the stories are quite boring, aren't they? Well, uh, yes, that's right. I mean, I think, you know, you often find yourself as IR, you know, um, trying to sort of restrain, you know, people within the company who want to aggressively promote the story. And we know lots of, companies and certainly in other sectors where, you know, there are, it's, it's all about the promotion rather than the, you know, delivery necessarily of the, of the asset. And you, you definitely have to be very careful that you're not ramping the shares. I mean, that's, you know, you, you're going to get one go at that, yeah. you know, you, you make, make a mess of it and that'll be the last time you do it. Um, no, look, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to operate within the constraints. Um, but there is a huge amount you can do within those constraints, provided that you have absolutely first class and compliant um, reporting functions. So if you, you have to be very disciplined about producing your quarterly reports, um, which gives you the opportunity to say, you know, look, it's in the quarterly report, therefore I can now say it, you know, via another channel. Does anyone read those? Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, your current investors probably do, um, but it's, it's not about necessarily reading it. It's about the fact that it's out there and it's fresh. So mm. the numbers are only ever three months old. Um, and then whenever you want to say something else, which may be more exciting and, you know, our, our new crusher has arrived, which is a very exciting development for the company. Um, you know, it's referenced in a regulatory document that means that you can now confidently go out and market without getting yourself into trouble, having accidentally, um, whoops, I've, you know, just reported something that I haven't reported via the proper channels. So, so can I just make a point? So you made me think that, you know, we, we found that a lot of retail investors just don't do the homework. They kind of want to be told what to do. In a, in, in a way, it's, it's a little bit lazy investing and, you know, those people perhaps don't do as well as they could do. But do you think that works in the favour of some junior companies? Well, yes. And I mean, yes and no. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, this maybe not directly answering your question, but I think one of the things that I found a bit of a challenge doing IR at the junior end is the sort of the impact of uh, the sort of small shareholder, mm. you know, blog. So I'm thinking about LSE.co.uk, I'm thinking about, you know, Hot Copper, these kind of things where 
rumors and gossip and everything. And it, you know, that's what the platform's for. And, and that's perfectly reasonable and people trade. It's very entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. And the, you, know? you know, day traders do what they do and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's often you know can drive you slightly around the twist if you if you you know as the representative of the company you read these things and you it's, they're getting it all wrong and everything. There's a big temptation to go on to the side and no 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 you can't say that you know um, you've got to let the market function. Um, but you would obviously seriously um, you know diminish the amount of you know gossip or rumor that that is spread around these things by reporting properly. If you keep your trap shut when things aren't going so well, you're very vulnerable to to these things happening. So. You know, a lot of companies will, when you know when things are going well, they're never off Twitter or LinkedIn or, yeah. or whatever. You know, you don't hear that. You can't shut them up. When things aren't going so well, they've they've gone dark. See, I I I like the chat rooms and the the forums and the social media because people are obviously very passionate and excited about investing. They should be. It's their money at stake. Um, I think there's a bit of form of entertainment. There's some camaraderie. There's some joking. There's some abuse. Uh, so it's, it's a very dynamic environment. So I, I think it's a very exciting space. But I think for companies to kind of step into the breach, I mean, that's asking for trouble, not, not, not only because it takes a lot of time and effort, but you probably get some more trouble than, than problems you're solving. But the, 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 the I guess the, the point um, of those environment is for people to be able to put forward their thoughts and their hypothesis about what the company's doing and interpret what the company has said. Um, and yes, sure, the company can be better at communicating to the marketplace, but not everyone reads all the app. They don't read prospectuses properly. They don't read art, uh, press articles properly. They're not technically competent, but they like to have a go, which is fine. They're not financially literate, but they like to have a go. It makes for a very sort of interesting mix. and. You know, some companies fare better than others in that environment, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong wrong with it. But I, I you know, I, I would suggest that most companies would struggle if they stepped into the foray. No, you. I mean, look, you're right. I mean, clearly, what you can't be in, you know, is, is on the actual, you know, chat room trading blows with yeah. However, what, you know, that's quite right. However, what I have found is that, I mean, in most cases, um, you know, these these sort of you know smaller investors are are long, you know, they and they want the shares to go up. It's very rare. Well, that's the name of the game, isn't it? Yeah, but it's very rare that they, it's very rare they're trying to short it. It's very rare that they're trying to put out crap so that you can, you know. I mean, it does happen. It totally, it totally happens. It happens a lot on the TSX at the moment. Um, it's a big topic. But... but on the whole, people are willing you to do well. So yeah. what you tend to find is that you know these guys will go on their site and they will you know make their own interpretation of whatever news they've seen. Hmm. They might be harsh, you know, in their criticism of management. That's quite often very fair. Um, but often they will also. Um, email you separately, so you know oh, yeah. this is where you've got to be careful. So you you know you recognise the name of the guy, you know yeah. his his code name or whatever, yeah. and he comes on and emails you, you know essentially asking the question that he's just posted on the thing. So you've got to be slightly careful how you respond. But if you if you are open and helpful, and you you know, and I've often said to these guys, look, call me, you know, this is my mobile, call me anytime you like. You engage with them. You're seen as a good guy. You're seen as helpful. You you know, and and that's the that's the game. You know, we are trying to be. The, the the idea of IR is not to do the minimum requirement. It is to engage, and it is to um, you know engage with our shareholders and try and you know get the best outcome for everybody. I mean, the idea is to lower the cost of capital for the business, which usually means getting the share price up. And you, you want to engage with people, and it's also you know part of um, you know the the sort of learning experience within the job. You know, hearing. 
different views and having to counter those and discuss them internally um, is, is very important. And I think one of the things that people get, you know, perhaps slightly sort of blindsided by in, in companies is, you know, that a 10% shareholder is, is 10 times more important than a 1% shareholder. Um, I mean, technically that's true, obviously, but equally, you know, every shareholder has access to Twitter, every shareholder has access to these sites, and to the extent that Twitter has made us all citizen journalists, you know, these chat sites have made everybody professional investors, you know, in a, in a manner of speaking. So, you know, it doesn't matter how many shares you've got, you can still make the same amount of noise. But my, the, pr the problem we're trying to solve, certainly a correct investor, is getting to the truth, right? So companies talk to the market and they've got to be careful what they say. It can't be misleading. Sometimes it is actually, but it, it shouldn't be. But it's as much about what they don't say as what they do say. And, and that's the big part of what I object to. So they're very aware of some problems, but if they, if they take the view of, if I don't talk about it, one, it'll either go away or people won't notice or it doesn't matter, but I haven't lied. Yeah. Have you, have you come across that? Yeah, no, very much so. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, I think there is, often there is sort of institutional fear that um, if you report anything negative at all, I mean, which could be, which could range from, you know, not meeting expectations on the numbers you gave the market, you know, to... Well, that's harder. That's yeah. harder. I'm talking about things like yeah, major, permitting. Yeah, yeah, a major problem that, you know, I we all thought you were going to get it and now it turns out you're not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think it's very important to to have um, as much transparency as possible because people, you know, will forgive you if it's clearly not your fault. Yeah. But if you don't tell them, and then the expectation is built into the share price that it's all going to happen, and then it doesn't, then you've misled people. And well, to, to me, that's a red flag. You know, yeah. if if people do not make you aware of something that they were aware of, which may have a meaningful effect on, on the share price or the value of the company. That's me as good as life. Okay? Yeah. It, 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 it really is. And we've seen it too much. And if we identify those people, we, we walk away real quick because that's just the beginning. Yeah, and I, and I, think, that's, I think that's reasonable. I mean, I th you know, as I said, it is important that we proactively engage. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got to show, you know, the, the right level of responsibility for, for the messages you've got out there. So in the UK, we've got something called MIFID II came in a few years ago, which was basically shook up the market and you know, a lot of financial institutions had to change uh, the way that they worked. The revenue streams in some cases were stopped and that, and that was primarily because institutional research became unavailable to the retail market and the family offices. So, so that audience has got less information available to them in, in some ways, certainly in terms of you know, professional institutional research, because um, it's, it's all had to move to a pay to model. Uh, and I think this is the same in, with the SEC and or in ASX as well, just to, to, to perhaps a lesser degree. Um, so how do, how does this audience that we're talking about, this retail audience, get to the truth? Mm. Because most companies pay for research and that research, because it's paid for, is extremely, in some cases, or at least partially biased yeah. in its reporting. Because yeah. again, it chooses and selects what it chooses, it, 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 um, information it chooses to present. Yeah. How, do, how do they do that? Well, I think that's an extremely fair summary because I think, you know, my experience has been um, at, the, at the smaller cap end of the market. Um, if it, for a broker to cover your stock, an analyst to cover your stock who is not your corporate broker, um, the the share must generate a certain amount of commission in order to pay the guy's wages to doing it. Yeah. And it almost certainly will not. 
So therefore, the only person who's covering you is your corporate broker, who, as you say, you're paying to write research on how many corporate brokers put out sell recommendations. You know, um, not not terribly many. So, um, you know, that is absolutely hundred percent right. And I mean, I've had lots of lots of examples where, in order to get another broker to cover the stock, I've had to offer him the brokership or the joint brokership mm-hmm. in order to do that. Um, and added to which, as you say, there is other there are other forms of paid for research. No, no, there are. Um, you know, professional research houses who will do what you ask, and they get around Mifid too by they don't get around it, but the, you know the rules allow them to write what you want, provided that they put on a buy or sell recommendation. Um, and that again, you know, it's obviously I get to write it. So um, you, you know, absolutely right. And so therefore, where does that leave the poor investor? You know, who's asking for the contrary argument? Yeah. Um, and I think you know the, the answer is that. Um, you know, the regulatory requirements on us to report fully what we're doing, you know, has to be taken very seriously. But I think that you've got to see it in a slightly sort of wider context that, and I said earlier, right at the beginning, that, you know, my approach to IR is, is to be a broker with one stock. You've got to see your IR as, as the broker, as the deliverer of the information. Um, and if that person is doing it properly, they will be telling you the, the bad as well as the good, or at least they won't be hiding the bad. Um, and you have to rely on the on the company reporting properly. And if the company is not reporting properly, there's your answer. You know, so, you, you can't. But what you can't do is rely on the market to provide an objective assessment. You, I mean, you, look, if you know people, you know analysts. You can, you know people in the market. You can say, what do you think of this one? Well, we didn't go for the brokership because we don't like the logistics yeah. or whatever it might be. But you know, retail investors typically don't have those opportunities. So you've got to you've got to rely on the company. Yeah. Um, and you've got to hold them to account. And, you know, for which, as we, we went back to the beginning, you need to have somebody who's, you know, reasonably experienced, who's able to, you know, deal with deal with the, the issues internally to be able to say to the CEO, look, this is how we should be saying it. Well, let me, okay, let me put, here's an example, something that happened as recently as yesterday and today. So we, we've had a contributor write an article on some terrorist activity in West Africa, you know, we look at, I'm going to name Semifo because it's very widely reported, you know, there are 30, 37 people killed, 60 people injured in an attack at their, near their facility. And, you know, the share price got absolutely hammered down, 20, down to 20, 25% of what it was prior to the attack. So, you know, that was hugely unfortunate. And, you know, our thoughts go to the people that were, have been affected by that in the country. And, and um, but also to the shareholders, because that was that sort of, you, some would argue came out of the blue and some would argue, well, that's been brewing for the last 10 years. And we spoke to a security firm who's given some very clear insight as to what is going on there in the, in the Sahil region. And we didn't write this article as a contributor. So we, we, we kind of researched it after the event, as it were. But we've, we've got a lot of PR companies, very upset PR companies, and very upset companies calling us and going, you need to take that off your site. And we're like, well, it's true. It, the sources are referenced. Um, it's out there in the news. You're going to have to deal with it. Now, that's a particularly unpleasant and difficult scenario that I've described, but it, 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 it's, it's true. Um, we don't feel that we should be censoring or hiding or helping companies hide the facts, the truth. From investors because they may get affected like some of different um, investors have been. Um, but likewise, I do appreciate how difficult that can be for the company. I mean, you know, 
and it's difficult, but how would you approach a situation like that if you were one of the companies perhaps which may feel that the that, that press is negative for their their, their corporate brand, their, their image in the market? Well, I mean, you make a number of very important points there, and I think, and I certainly echo your you know, what you're saying about the you know the, the bald, cold, horrible tragedy of, of what's actually happened, um, and it does illustrate the fact that um, you know a lot of mining activity is in very very challenging geographies, mm. um, and that's unfortunate. That's a very unfortunate fact of life, and um, you know it, it is uh, you know purely and simply a you know a horrible event. Putting that slightly to one side, if I may, and, and, and thinking about it completely objectively, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if I was mining in that particular part of Africa and, you know, people drew a comparison with me and, you know, I'm the next one, people are going to ask, um, you know, are you affected? I think the first thing I would say after having obviously made, you know, made the right overtures in respect to, um, you know, the people involved would be to say, this is, these are our security arrangements. This is, this is what we do. This is the advice that we have had. These are the people that we work with on regional security. And proactively say, look, you know, I'm not telling you that I can absolutely guarantee that there are no risks to our personnel. What I can tell you is that, um, you know, we've learned from this situation or that, you know, even prior to this, we already had in place, um, you know, these sort of safeguards and criteria. Maybe I can put it in a slightly different way and, and move out just from the, you know, the, the, the horrible situation of semaphore, but to think about maybe the Vale tailings down, which it also again, again also a human tragedy. Tragic, yes. Um, but, you know, I think the market has welcomed, for example, you know, what BHP have been saying about the um, the, the need for sort of a, a you know, a more a safety audit and, and the need for more transparency, specifically on tailings down. So you've got one, you know, is it safe? And how mm. is that independently verified? And what BHP have done, which I think is extremely sensible, is being proactive and gone out there and said, okay, look, we've got tailing stamps. Let's not pretend we haven't. Let's not pretend that any of them are necessarily 100% safe. Let's get out there. Let's get them properly audited. Let's get them properly assessed. Um, and let's tell the market about it. Um, and that is a proactive, you know, I thought that was smart. I mean, the share price was affected initially, but then it went, went back up again, you know, because, as you say, they didn't hide from the issue. I mean, it's a slightly different case in the sense that, you know, yes, there was tragedy, but it's a safety safe health and safety issue in the sense that there's something they could fix. Obviously, Western Sahara, Sahil, we're talking about incursions from militant groups. In some cases, you know, it's widely covered. They are going after gold mines, taking over gold mines, and selling gold into the market as a result to fund their activities or quite frankly, just criminal enterprise in some cases. And that has been the case with oil in the past, um, in Libya, et cetera, and across, across uh, Africa as well. So, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a new problem per se, uh, but companies are very good at keeping those things quiet. It's only with the semaphore instance where it's become, you know, it, it didn't work because it affected the share price, because the, the, the scale, of, scale of the tragedy, that people are having to deal with this now and think about it. Well, let, let me put this a slightly different way. <clears throat> I, I mean, I think, you know, and, and, and let's just sort of go back slightly to the first principle saying, you know, what, what, what does IR do? And I, I, I said, you know, it, it attempts to lower the cost of capital. I think another way to talk about what the IR function does is to create an environment where the market can properly value the, the share that derives from, from the company. And in order to do that, it has to have complete information. I think one of the big mistakes you see, not just in mining, but in you know, in corporates, you know, all around the world, 
is that companies you know, want to dictate to analysts what they should write, what they should think, and dictate to the market what the value of the well, share we, will we be. We had that, these, these PR agencies saying we, we have to pull this article, yeah. I, which, I, which I thought was uh, incredible. To me, that makes them complicit in a cover-up. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't think it's right to, you know, to, to conceal anything, frankly. But I think, you know, you need the market to properly value your share. And if you are uh, honest and, and transparent about, you know, the, the activities that you do and, and the places where you operate, you allow the market to do that. You know, there's no point pretending that, you know, I, if I also operate in, in that area, you know, I can't certainly pretend that I don't. So clearly I'm subject to the same, um, you know, security conditions as, as, as these guys. So, you know, say that and explain what it is you're doing. Don't pretend that you're not there and don't pretend that you haven't got the same issue. You know, the market needs to value you. I mean, you know, you're very happy to take the, you know, all the upside yep. from a place that's got, you know, a, maybe a, you know, a very tolerant permitting regime where, you know, the infrastructure is fantastic. You're right near the coast, you, you know, you're near the Atlantic. So you can, these you things know, investors should all, be looking for. All, all the good stuff about the fact that you're, you're mining in West Africa, you know, which there are many, many things. Yeah. Um, but you've also got to be cognizant of, things that aren't so brilliant and allow the market to to value you accordingly i think the market you know it's a bit like you know we talk about you know we're not here to talk about politics but you know one of the things that we've learned over the last six months maybe or so is that you know that the, the electorate tends to get it right you know that the you 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 know whether it's brexit whether it's the general election that you know the, the market is the same it comes to a decision collectively mm. and you know it, it, it goes on from there you can't dictate to the market what it should think any more than you can dictate to voters what they should You think. can't dictate to the market, but you also can't dictate to existing shareholders. I think one of the things which we've been um, more and more made aware of in, in the last year or so, certainly aware of it a little bit when we were investing in the genius space previously, but in the last year when we were engaging with this audience, and we've got a very intelligent following on the whole, um, where investors who are invested in a company a lot, of, sorry, a lot of investors invest in the company will defend it to the hilt, even if it's wrong. It's obvious that it's wrong. The company's doing something wrong because they can't bring themselves to admit that maybe decision-making has, uh, their decision-making has been uh, at fault or perhaps um, you know, they've, they've invested more money than they wanted to, but they're in, they're underwater slightly, and therefore they hope that things will fix themselves. So they will defend, we've been attacked. <laughs> Uh, quite aggressively by you know some people defending the position who you know later on come back a little bit more contrite and gone okay maybe, maybe you were right and you know the share price has has come off and maybe I should have got out then you know at a ten percent loss rather than a forty percent loss and you know it, you know t time is always a is a, is a, is a, is a great um, variable in, in investing but that that surprised us why wouldn't you want to get out the truth why wouldn't you make the decision that i'd rather get out with a 10 percent loss than worry about perhaps this continuing on a downward trend um, like you say it's all good when it's all good news but yeah. current i think i i, I think investing uh, is um a business of you know constant assessment reassessment there's risk everywhere and you've got to work out what your strategy is and if you're a long-term hold great medium-term hold great um but if you're looking at this on a day-to-day -day basis and you're going to be worried about you know, what the company does or doesn't do on a daily basis, then I think that's not an area we want to get into. But at the end of the day, whichever of those three scenarios you're in, you 
got to want to get at the truth. It allows you to make more intelligent, informed, insightful investment decisions, in our opinion. Yes, and, and, I, and I, I agree completely. I mean, I, I do think that companies that have, you know, first class levels of, you know, IR and, and disclosure, um, and I mean, you know, I don't have any sort of stats to back it up, but I mean, I, I can bet you that, um, you know, they would on the whole get higher ratings from the market than those that don't. And and I think, you know, it is, it information breeds confidence. You know, it, it's not something that one should be, you know, afraid of revealing. I mean, it's, it's just a question of really how you do it. Um, and, you know, no one's going to put, you know, the front page of their slides, you know, is, is going to be a, you know, it's going to be a big negative. But I think it's your preparedness to answer the question. It's your preparedness to put your CEO up, you know, in maybe in interviews or, you know, in the media um, to explain why, you know, we're taking the steps we're taking, you know, what it is we're doing. What investors typically, in my experience, just don't forgive is going dark. You know, mm. just saying, don't, you know, don't answer the emails, don't say anything, don't talk to media. Um, you know, and what that, all that just creates is a vacuum, which is filled by a lot of rumor. I mean, yeah. you know, people still want to, you know, to deal in the shares or they, they, you know, they want to talk about it. So if you're not leading the story and, and you know, being proactively out there, you know, not necessarily controlling the narrative, but, but you know, playing a big part in that, you're just going to leave the space open to somebody else. So we've talked about what um, companies, some companies do. Um, you know, I say, you know, there are lots of good companies out there and there's a lot more not so good companies out there. Can we just finish off here? Because I, I do appreciate your time and insight here. It's, it's, it's hugely valuable for people who perhaps don't get access to people like yourself, uh, certainly with your level of experience. But can we just talk about what, are the, what do you think retail investors should be looking for when they're looking to invest in the junior mining space? Okay, that's a really great question. And um, there's, a number of, there's a number of things, not necessarily in a particular order. I mean, we already talked about you know, the, the, the IR. I mean, mm. One of the things I, I personally is, is my, it's just a bit my, my own personal habit, and I'm a bit old fashioned, but I, I like to look at the annual, the annual report. I know it's not everybody's taste anymore. You know, people tend to, you know, folks maybe on the website or the Twitter feed or whatever, and I'm understandably so, but I still like the annual report as a portal into the company. Um, I like to be able to find out very quickly what the company does, what its value proposition is, what, um, you know, the other, effectively the range of potential outcomes for an, for an investment. But, and you know, a good annual report speaks to a whole number of things. It talks to the company culture, it talks to, you know, the quality of the IR, um, it talks to how seriously the company is taking its, its messaging. And it, for example, you know, we haven't talked about, um, you know, for example, ESG and how, you know, the, the demands of ESG um, on investors now are, you know, obviously being translated to companies. So what are you doing in, in respect to ESG? Not only, by the way, your activities as a as a miner, but you know how is your board constituted? How are you paid? Um, and one of the things I also quite like to do is thumb straight to page you know seventy six, seven eighty, or whatever, and find out what these guys are getting paid, Me too. and what they're getting paid for, absolutely, and how what they have to do to get paid. Um, because it, that really sets the tone, doesn't it? Yeah, you know how confident they are in this company's ability to deliver value, that cliche value for shareholders. Yeah, but I mean, I'm buying this thing because I want because I think it's going to make money. Um, and I want to know that the management are aligned with that. So I don't mind, you know, I don't mind a CEO getting well paid, provided he's incentivized to get the share price up. Um, I want to see that he's got, obviously, participation in the equity. But what I don't like is, you know, a guy who's getting paid half a million quid for turning up to work, 
um, and you know gets a very big bonus based on you know pretty standardized um, corporate KPIs. I want to see that he's got to deliver the pre-feasibility report on time, or he's got to get construction going by 2021, or you know, and for which yes, you know he gets unlocked a nice chunk of equity. That's fine by me. But you can't have these guys, um, you know, getting paid just just for being there because that will create a culture where you will do the minimum that's yeah. required in terms of reporting, and you won't be incentivized to get new investors and, and drive the share price. So that's a really really key driver for me. And you know, I, I like to know obviously their experience. I like to know you know who they are and everything. But you know, people come from all walks of life and companies. You know, and have different levels of experience. You can't always tell who's necessarily going to be effective. But how they're rewarded um, is for me, incredibly important. And the other thing I like to see is, is a strong board. You know, a, a chairman, obviously typically uh, a non-exec chairman who can hold the management to account. Um, and the other thing, and perhaps this is something that, I don't know if you're listening, is that you know, maybe doesn't get touched on a lot, particularly at the junior end, but you know, a, most people know that you know, there's a very important role on the board, which is senior independent director, or SID as we call it. Mm. Um, which is distinct from the chairman. So you've got typically the chairman on the board, the chief executive on the board, various other non-exec board members, one of whom will be the SID. This is, in many people's eyes, the most important role within the entire organisation. This is the person you speak to if you're unhappy with the governance, if you're in the company and you're unhappy with the way things are being run, that's the person you speak to. Mm. Um, this is the person who you know your IR will typically sort of wheel out to the heads of governance, you know, the big, the big holders. To explain how we are, you know, constructing, you know, the, the gender composition of the board, the remuneration structure, etc. Um, and this is the person who will really be the independent voice to hold the, the chief executive and sometimes even the chairman to account about how things are being done. And you've got to find: do they have a SID? Who is he or she? What experience do they have? And what ability do I think that individual has got to represent my interests? Because we've talked a lot about. You know, what if companies have problems? What if they go dark in communications? What if they are denying something that could be a serious negative for the share price? That's the person on whom this responsibility yeah, will fall. Agreed. agreed. So, and, and, and I would, you know, just, I suppose, conclude, you know, by talking my own book a little bit, but, you know, look to see what the IR function is all about. How is it done? Um, is it done, you know, externally through a PR agency? Is there somebody embedded? What kind of level of experience have they got? And how accessible are they? Um, you know, send them an email and say, you know, interested in hearing a little bit more. Do you get an answer? Do you get sent a fact sheet? Do you get a proactive response? You know, is the IR department something that you feel comfortable and want to deal with? Or, and more importantly, do they want to deal with you? And, you know, that is, uh, that, you know, that's a crucial function. Often if you see, uh, you know, info at email address and, and, you know, it doesn't get answered and it all feels like you're talking to a brick wall, you, you know, you ring the company, no one answers the phone. You know, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence. You've got to have somebody that you can call up and, and ask yeah, for a don't, copy of the end don't, report. Don't we know it? Yeah. Well, like Sean, thank you very much for sharing some, just some of your insight. I think you're doing a fantastic job for some of the companies you're working with. Like I say, we, you know, we've, we like the way that you represent them. I think you've got some smart things to say and you've never shied away from anything. So um, come see us again. I think there's a lot more we can get out of you and uh, share with our lovely retail followers. Um, thanks again for your time. Thank you very much, Matt. And uh, yes, I'd love to have another opportunity. And um, you know, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? 
or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.